Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Crossover episode 1, part 2 with Steve Guerra of the history of the papacy on the Lombards. You're about to listen to the second part of a crossover episode in which I spoke to Steve Guerra of the History of the Papacy podcast about the Lombards. So if you haven't listened to the first part, it might be worth going back and listening to that. For the Patreon listeners, you can find the whole file either on the Patreon website or if you're using the feed on your podcast catcher, you'll find it in your podcast catcher. I hope you enjoy listening to the second part of the episode. That's a pretty quick move within a few, less than 200 years. It they is. had it is, pretty definitely. much lost their language. How? What about in their other aspects of culture? And we can maybe move into their religion a little bit because that went through some big changes. Culturally, um, how did they change from when they had entered to that, you know, cup not very long afterwards, maybe a century or two? Well, they, they changed in many things. Some things they maintained. They were very proud of their appearance, for example. Going back to the whole story of the long beards, they would actually shave the back of their heads all the way up to their scalp and keep long hair in the front sort of divided, parted down the middle. So if you have the opportunity to see images and pictures of the Lombards, they have these, these strange style, let's say. Women adapted maybe to local Byzantine Roman style a bit more quickly, whereas the men, the warrior class, you know, the nobles maintained their, their fashion for a bit longer. But as we were saying, you know, ling- linguistically speaking, they, they needed to communicate with their new subjects. So they soon found that communication was easier in uh, initially Latin. But, you know, by that time, we're not talking the Latin, you know, the classical Latin of Cicero or, or Tacitus. But we're talking about, you know, sort of proto-Italian or what, what is called here is vulgar Italian, vulgar, a vulgarization of, of the Latin language. And so also the, the laws and the, I mean, the, the, the money they would have used would have from the very start been the, the solidus, the Roman solidus, when they did obviously use money because, you know, they, they would also use barter systems. And, you know, we can't think of a regular economic system back in the, in the early Middle Ages. And so um, mo- a lot of the, the, the characteristics of the Lombards slowly integrated into the local population with some little quirks, let's say, like uh, fashion and that. But in time, you could say that by the 9th and 10th century, when you use the term Lombard prince or Lombard duke, you're almost speaking of an Italian by that point. Also, you know, linguistically, culturally speaking. Did much of their culture rub off on the the native population? Did much go the other way? Not Not really, especially because the most important element, perhaps the warrior culture, you know, the culture that brought to the whole chivalry business, the business of knights, didn't really 
catch in Italy at any time. Indeed, if you look for, you know, stories of uh, Arthur and chivalry, you, you find them in French literature, you find them in English literature, in Germanic literature, you know, Siegfrieds and the Arthurs and so on. But you don't find a lot of that in Italian literature. So the, the, this whole idea of the warrior, of the knight, etc., which is going a bit too far, perhaps, is also one of the reasons the Normans were able to so quickly take a hold in southern Italy later on. Yeah, there are, there are a couple of examples of words, maybe, some, some peculiar ones. So uh, in Italian, we say federa, which is a pillowcase, which is of Lombard origin. Uh, vasca, so if you go and have a bath, you would go in a vasca, which is a tub, a bathtub. Uh, or bara, interestingly, which is a coffin. These are all Lombard words. And going back to uh, hair, uh, also the word forfora, which is the word for dandruff, would have been of uh, Lombard er uh, origin as well. So some words, some things, but um, coming down to our times, not a huge amount of influence. Although, as I said, you know, with the Edict of Rothery, in legal terms, that the laws of the Lombards held sway for, for quite a few centuries. You know, up until the the twelfth century, you could still find traces of Lombard law. So that's you know almost six hundred years after King uh, Rothery of the Lombards set out his edict. So definitely, in in the let's say closer to the Lombard presence, they had a more significant influence. Then, obviously, over the years, uh, not so much. This is going way, way, way into the future of yeah. where we are right now. But did they have much impact, the Lombards, in how th that northern part of Italy would develop and say the, like you said, into the maybe like the 1200s with like the famous families of like the Sforza, et cetera? Was there any linkage between them? Well, you'd have to consider maybe how much the idea of independence caught hold. I mean, is, is that something which was naturally already developing in the Italian cities, or is that something the Lombards brought in? I, I would tend to think it's sort of a combination, because when the Western Roman Empire fell, the only people, the only actors available to fill that vacuum were the bishops. So the, the bishops of the various Italian cities... And that was the first moment in which the cities and the areas moved towards independence. Then obviously when the Lombards came in and they sort of, um, how can we say, overlaid their idea of independence to that, it, it only increased. So the, 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 the Duke of Turin or the Duke of Pavia or the Duke of Verona would be following his interests that at times would coincide with that of the king and many other times wouldn't. When When the Lombards fell, a lot of the dukes actually stayed on in their positions because they had actually sided with the with the franks so i i would think yeah i would think that in 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 a way they continued that how can we say that um strive or, or, or that movement towards independence which really characterized the italian mid, uh, middle ages and then the italian renaissance i mean we have you could say that Italy has contributed, all it contributed with art, science, and so on, due to a, a lack of unity, unfortunately. So, yeah, I would say in a certain sense, they, you could say that they've, they, they continued that push towards independence from a central power that so characterized, you know, the Italian uh, Middle Ages and the Italian communal period. I think the Frank or the Lombards rather their religion is so fascinating because apparently 
at least some scholars think that before they had entered the Italian peninsula, they were kind of a grab bag of mostly Catholic Christians with some pagan, so a pagan Catholic mix. But then when they came into Italy, that's where they started to become more Aryan in outlook as they were trying to absorb the the Ostrogoths that were there, which that's a that's kind of a big move and that's a, a political move, but it didn't really last very long. There's even some thought that in general they weren't very Aryan to begin with, that they were more way more heavily Catholic, but that the popes and the Catholics were using that as sort of a cudgel to hit them with to get more Byzantine support. And then eventually when the Byzantines couldn't really do anything anymore to get the Franks involved. Yeah, um, we had early examples of Aryan kings and even some early examples of Aryan kings prohibiting Catholic practices and later on down the line also a Catholic king being deposed for you know the very fact that he was Catholic and so too integrated with the local population. Then we have some interesting examples of Aryan kings but with Catholic wives. So in the case of, for example, Agilulf and Theodolinda, which is a very important queen, a very important figure in Lombard history. As you said, it, it doesn't seem like they had a strong conviction one way or another from a religious point of view, but it seems more of a political question. And I, th I think you're right in that uh, assessment. I thought it was interesting. There was a king who it had always been Catholic practice that Arians who converted back to Catholicism wouldn't need to be rebaptized. Whereas the Arian practice was that Catholics who became Arian had to be rebaptized. So they were making it a bigger hurdle and making it kind of a bigger deal of the amount of heresy, depending on which uh, perspective you're looking at it, to the Arians, Catholicism was a bigger heresy than Arianism was to yeah. the Catholics. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. At least in that um, one, you know, one little segment of time. It almost seemed to me like doing the research on the Lombards, they got into Arianism just a little bit too late, and that history probably would have been quite different if they had become Catholic more quickly, then there wouldn't have been as much of an impetus for the Franks to come in and for the papacy to find a new Catholic ally and make the the Lombards the enemy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although, I mean, I think the, the, the contingency, the fact that we're so close to what by a certain point had become actually papal states wouldn't have made that much a difference. I think, you know, the the fact was that now the Pope had a state and he had a power all around that state, which in this case was the Lombards, which was encroaching on his state. So I think whatever religion they would have been, even if they had been Catholic, it would have caused some kind of problems uh, for him. Although, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting uh, thing to consider, you know, how much could the Lombards had done if they had been Catholic, if they wouldn't, if they hadn't had 
the, the threat of the Franks over them. Maybe they could have created an Italian state that could have rivaled the formation of France, the formation of Germany, not uh, sacrificing uh, Italy to you know several centuries of domination from foreign powers. Maybe they could have created an Italian nation back then, but that's the what-ifs of history. So you can go very far down that road and not, not be able to come back. Yeah, I think you're right, though, that they had that immediate conflict. And even if they were co-religionists, the fact that they were muscling in on the pope's territory was always going to be a uh, major conflict area. Definitely. Although it is also interesting that if you want to try and, and trace the origin of the papal states, you, you can go to different areas. You can go to Gregory the Great. But one where you can go is the donation of Sutri which was by a Lombard king, Liutprand, to the Pope, because what had happened was uh, Liutprand had taken, uh, among other areas, the, the, the city of Sutri near Rome from the Byzantines. But when the time came to reach an agreement with the Pope, Liutprand didn't give Sutri back to the Byzantines, but he gave it directly to the Pope. So you had a king giving land uh, in a legitimate, let's say, way to the Pope, and so, or in a certain sense, creating a legitimate landholding by the Popes. Then, obviously, you have other moments, very important moments, perhaps more important moments, such as the donation of Pippin or the confirmation by uh, Charlemagne of the donation of Pippin. But the donation of Sutri is an interesting example in which the Lombard king helped, in a certain sense, to create the papal states, which then were the thorn in his side that pushed the the, the, the whole Lombard kingdom to, to fall. Yeah, I really think the Lombards were that were like a key that opened the door to what the papacy would become. This weird alliance with the Franks that went on for centuries, and then it also leads into the whole Guelph Ghibelline conflict. You know, that all everything gets opened when the Lombards come and the papacy has to find an ally somewhere and it winds up being the Franks. Yeah, then not to mention the, the whole issue with the Holy Roman Empire and you know, the investiture crisis that you've done a, an episode on as well. Uh, so that that's a whole funny mess as well to, to, to think about. What happened to the Lombards in the southern part of Italy? They had some, they sacked Monte Cassino, and as you said, they became dukes in Benevento, Spoleto. Where, what happened to their kingdom after the kingdom in the north was taken, taken out by the Franks? Well, they, they started out actually as duchies. So, you know, when the initial conquest came, they were made dukes of Spoleto and Benevento. And interestingly, when the northern kingdom fell, so it fell under King uh, Desiderius of the Lombards when, when he, he was defeated by Charlemagne, that would be 774, I would say. And basically, the, the southern areas who were in a certain sense protected because they had, if you can imagine the papal states, you have the, the area obviously around Rome, and then you have the area around Ravenna, sort of north uh, east of, of Rome, and basically a little corridor through the mountains, through the Apennines, connecting those two areas. So that was almost like a buffer for the uh, existing Lombard southern duchies. And so they, they toyed with the idea for a little bit of, of actually declaring a kingdom. So they thought, well, maybe that's going to be a little bit too risky. We don't want the Franks coming and disturbing us. So they just called themselves princes. 
So the uh, duchies of Spoleto and Benevento became principalities. Obviously, by then we had other players. It wasn't just Spoleto and Benevento, but you also had the growing importance of cities like Salerno, Gaeta, for example, and Naples. Naples was still nominally uh, Byzantine, but also started to have local aspirations. So basically they lived on, you could say. They continued on basically until the the um, Norman conquest of southern Italy. So we're talking the 11th century, and they continued to fight uh, amongst themselves. They continued to, at times, side with the papacy, at times fight against the Saracens, so the Arab presence in Sicily, at times with them, enjoying themselves on a day-by-day basis of who am I going to ally with today until basically the Norman uh, conquest, as I said. Yes, so many things happened so quickly. The the Byzantine-Ostrogothic War, and then the Lombards come in. Then they get taken over by the Franks in the late 700s. Then the Saracens come. Within like 200 years, the the whole world had changed. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, that's that's what happened with the the fall of the empire then that opened the floodgates for any kind of invaders. And, And things continued to happen in Italy for many centuries. It remained divided basically until 1860. So you'd always have somebody in the south, which was different from somebody in the center, which was different from the presence in the north. If you want to look at a map of Italy today, we're still not united because you have Italy with two mini states in it, which is the Vatican on one hand and uh, the Republic of San Marino on the other. So you could say that the situation continued on until this day, basically, although obviously with very, very different characteristics. Did um, Where did San Marino actually come from? Does that have any connection to the story? Not with the Lombards, no. It, it, came, it came a lot later. It was um, basically in the pre-unification period. Um, it wasn't a little, you know, as was the case in that time, a little independent. I think, I believe it was a duchy at that time. And basically out of... Um, because Giuseppe Garibaldi had uh, had been uh, had sought exile there, and he'd been given exile and support. So when the time came to unify Italy, they were sitting up there on their hilltop, so harmless. No, they weren't uh, interfering one way or the other. So Garibaldi was able to intervene to allow them to remain an independent republic. Basically, obviously, it became a republic later. And to this day, I mean, it's more of a a tourist thing. You can't really say that they're a big independent nation, but you know, they have their own football team when the World Cup comes around and uh, you, you, you have a little uh, passport. You can have your passport stamped when you drive into San Marino. So it's, it's more of a tourist thing than actually significantly a different country. I think that we really did wrap up uh, and give gave people a good taste of what each of our podcasts have to offer. I think if they want to learn more about the the detail of all of these issues, definitely tune into your podcast. And I, I'm really enjoying this series with the uh, um, Arrivederci, the Saracens. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One question I did have, I love those little sketches you do at the end. Where did <laughs> yeah. those come from? Um, well, um, I was trying to think. Well, I mean, obviously, dramatizing history is nothing new because it's been done forever. That's the way people used to tell history and obviously Shakespeare with all his historical plays. I think that the, I sort of copied it from a history of England. And uh, so I, I, I did it early on. And I remember early on, one um, I had um, a, a listener write in and say, I love the podcast, but I feel that the sketches don't really fit in much. So I stopped doing them for a while. 
But then I, I, I like the idea of bringing them back in, so I put them at the end. That way it doesn't interrupt the flow of the episode. And if you don't want to listen to it, you can stop listening after the end uh, music, let's say. But I still kept it there because we enjoy doing that. That's, uh, uh, all my family is involved in that. You know, there's my wife sometimes, my children. And, and so we, we, we enjoy that little extra sketch at the end there. I also love how you keep the episodes to 15, 20, 25 minutes. Is that something you really work hard to stick to? Um, yeah, it comes relatively naturally because basically uh, once I see that I, I follow the word, the character count. So once I see I'm up to about 10,000 characters, I know that I can either wrap it up or cut it in two. And, uh, and, and that works pretty well, I think. Yeah, it's, it's sort of half studied you know i was as i said initially i used to listen well i still listen to to your podcast i listen to um other podcasts that run up to well obviously the, the history of rome which used to run about half an hour so then i i sort of chose a middle ground because here in italy for example a podcast shouldn't go more than 10 minutes you know the the italian language podcast so sort of a middle ground let's say you know it allow it allows uh, one listen on an average commute, maybe a couple of episodes on the longer commute. So, yeah, it's also, I mean, it's pretty easy to, to get one out a week at that length. I mean, if it were longer, it would be hard, I think, to do one a week. What about you, uh, Steve? What, what, what sort of approach or philosophy have you used for your episode length? I really try for about a half an hour. Sometimes I get a little um, windbaggy and go <laughs> further, but... Um, I really do try to stick to about a half an hour. I think, like you said, that's about a commute. It's, um, you know, if somebody goes for a little jog or something, that's probably about in the half an hour range. Um, yeah, like I said, that's, that is really how, I'm, how I try to do it. Yeah, I think, I think it works that way, yeah. yeah. I mean, the feedback seems to be good on that in that sense as well. So. And for the listeners of A History of Italy, uh, Steve, where can we listen to The History of the Papacy and other uh, projects that you have as well? You can find, um, you can listen and then find all the social media and all that sort of thing on my website, a2zhistorypage.com, a-t-o-z-historypage.com. And you can also find the podcast on all your usual podcatchers. I believe I'm on Stitcher now iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I also have another podcast that um, is not regularly updated, but I do actually have a little series coming out on my other podcast called Beyond the Big Screen, where I interview guests about a movie and we discuss the the background and history of what uh, mostly historical movies where the um what they were at, what actually happened and a little bit of what the movie changed and maybe what we liked and disliked about the movie so that's a good podcast and there's a pretty decent back catalog and like i said i'll have a few new episodes coming out on that as well great yeah and then maybe they'll make a film about lombard sometime and we can we can review that one Oh yeah, I'd love that. That's that's. There's a lot of topics that I think would make really good movies, and yeah, then they usually wind up making another World War II movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Great. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for for proposing this collaboration. I think it's really really enjoyable and really great. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. And I think there's going to be a lot of other opportunities for our um, to collaborate and catch up each of our audiences on some different aspects of uh, church history and Italian history. Yeah, I, one thing I'm looking forward to you getting to is uh, the, the whole investiture. I mean, I know you've done an episode on it, but uh, when you get more into Gregory the Seventh, because if I turn around and look out my window, I can actually see the hills of Canossa. So I, I look forward to collaborating maybe on that, on Gregory the Seventh and Matilda and Henry the Fourth and all that. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's definitely something I'm looking forward to from both of our podcasts. Great. Fantastic. All right. Thanks for talking with me. Same here. Thank you very much. And thank you to the listeners of A History of Italy and the listeners of A History of the Papacy. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. As I mentioned, the whole episode can be found on Patreon, so now would be a great time to become a supporter. Next week we'll be back to our regular program. Next week we'll be back to our regular episodes to see the big fight coming up between Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa and the Italian communes. If you did enjoy the collaboration episode, you'll be happy to know that another one is coming up, a little bit different, not an interview, and on a really hot topic. So look forward to that. Thanks again, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.